0: Whether you are looking for weekly Bible studies, in-depth courses, or talks related to the faith, you will find it at the ICC. Please check out our upcoming schedule of live online events and engage with us on social media. All are welcome to join our growing international ICC family. For handouts, links, and further study materials, Please visit this program's page on our website or app.
1: Blessed are our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Guys, we got a lot to cover tonight. I think I'm about a half an hour before, behind where I want to be, but I think we can get there. So we just got to talk really fast. So just open your mind up. I'm going to put, you know, on YouTube, you can do like two times the speed when you play a video. That's what I'm going to do tonight, but I'm not actually on two times the speed. I'm just talking two times as fast. But you can do it if you stay with me. So if I, you feel like I stuck a fire hose in your mouth and just turned it on, that's what I did. That's what we're going to do. Now, you got to hold on to this because I need to go back for one second. and Make sure you understand. The book of Leviticus fits right in there at the fall of the, of the of the of the golden calf, right? The sin of the golden calf, book of Leviticus, right there. That's why Leviticus is, is so hard because we read it after, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, but it doesn't come after chapter 40 of, of Exodus. It comes right there, right? Numbers does the same thing, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Numbers, mm-hmm. chapter seven is identical to the end of exodus and where uh, you don't need to turn there but exodus chapter 40 the first few verses is the same as as numbers chapter seven so there's a little bit of back that goes ha- happens in the first few chapters of numbers which is very un- inconvenient for those of us that like to read from a to z it doesn't read like that you got to know where it's stuck in does that make sense to you okay wonderful um then of course what's the book of numbers all about i didn't even say this last time which is a big mistake it's a census right they're taking the numbers why do they need a census at the at chapter 40 of Exodus because they're allowed to, about to leave mount sinai what are they going to face in between sinai and the holy land are a bunch of heathen tribes pagans out there that are that are you know they're going to battle against they need to know who's in the camp not only because they're going out there but they've just had they just had a few months back this major problem the golden calf and what happened when they sent the sent the golden calf a plague broke out in the camp we're going to see this again in a few minutes plague breaks out, all these people die, and they need to know who's with them, right? They're going to battle, got to know who's on the team, right? So the census of numbers takes place. Numbers has to be understood in those terms. If you read it like that, you're going to understand why, oh my gosh, they're taking a census and all these details, all these details. It's important to the storyline, just like the genealogy is important to the storyline. Does that make sense? Okay, fine. Numbers uh, chapter uh, uh, 14, we looked at which is the reason for the 40 years, right? 40 days, they, they they inspect the land, they come back and they give a bad report. God says, okay, a year for every day, right? Chapter 14, we looked at that. From chapter 14 to chapter 22 of Numbers, hold it in your hand right there. Chapter 14, chapter 22 is, that's 40 years. Very easy to read. Battle after battle after battle. And finally they're back, okay? And that, Numbers chapter 22, take a look with me. They, they 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 pull up the old Cadillac in the plains of Moab, right? And get and get ready to, to to do business here. And you see this. Then the people of Israel set out and encamped in the plains of Moab. What's the plains of Moab? It's modern day Jordan. Okay. Modern day Jordan. They're camped right across the river. They can see Jericho. Like literally, have you ever been to the Holy Land with me? You know. From where they were standing to Jericho, is like you walk down the block, right? They just got to go across the, the river, and it's right there. So here they are, camping in the plains of Moab, and things after 40 years now, right? They finally get there. They're ready to take the promised land. And chapter 25 of Numbers, uh, chapter 25, here we are. Um, when the, when Israel dwelt in Shittim in uh, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Oh no. Right. Out of 40 years, you're like, finally, we're going to get in. And then boom, the sin of, uh, that happens here in the. Well, it's it a strange image, isn't it? To play the harlot, to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Well, what's going on? Right. Well, Israel is the bride of God. So she's now playing a harlot by, you know, getting involved with the, um, with the daughters of Moab. And then look at verse 2. Well, these invited the people to sacrifice their gods. Kelsey, are you with me?
2: Okay, verse 2. These invited the people to the sacrifices of the gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked itself to Baal of Pior. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you slay his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. It's, it's
1: the golden calf all over again, isn't it? Okay, keep going, Kelsey. But I mean, you got, your head's got to be blowing off right now, right? After 40 years,
2: you nimrods! what are you thinking you're about to go in go kelsey keep going and be, and behold one of the sons of israel came and brought a midianite woman to his family ooh, ooh, not in good. the sight of moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the sons of israel while they were weeping at the door of the tent of meeting when phineas the son of eleazar son of aaron the aaron the priest saw it he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of israel into the inner room and pierced both of them the man of Israel and the woman through her body thus the plague was stayed from the sons of Israel nevertheless those that died by the plague were 24000 ah chapter 26 verse 1 go kelsey after the plague the lord said to moses and to eleazar the son of aaron the priest take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel from 20 years okay. old and upward
1: kelsey why do they need to take why do they need to take a census guys
2: Yeah, Teresa, take yourself on mute. Yeah. Because a whole bunch of people just died again.
1: Exactly. So they're going to take it. It's another numbers, right? It's numbers over here in Deuteronomy. They got to take a census of the people because lo and behold, they're about to go cross that river and they're about to take Jericho and they're going to go march on Jerusalem and they got to know who's with them. Lord have mercy. This is the next problem that you're going to face. And that is the book of Deuteronomy comes next, but it actually fits in right here, just like Leviticus did. Right? Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan, in the wilderness, in Araba, over against Suf, Paran, it is an 11-day journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kardesh Barnea. And in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all the words given them a commandment. After he had defeated all these guys, verse five, beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain the law. What does the word Deuteronomy mean? Second law, right? Why do they need a second law? Why does Moses got to explain the law? Son, didn't you hear me when I told you to make your bed? Look, here's the rule. When you get up in the morning and you walk 10 feet down the hallway, make a left and brush your teeth for two minutes. When your little electric toothbrush goes four times, then you can put it down, but not before that. Then you're talking 10 feet back and you have to make your bed. You see, the Deuteronomy is Moses explaining the law. You didn't figure it out the first time. I'm going to make it really clear to you. Okay, I expected the car home at 10 o'clock, not at 1030. That means that when the clock strikes 10, you're here, not 10.01, not 10.02. That's the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, makes sense to you. So, again, you have to understand where these books fit in. If they don't, they're not going to help you. You're going to stumble on how you do the first chapters, one through five of Deuteronomy recalls to people all of God's work. That he did among the people, all the all all these battles and the manna and all say, look, the Lord was faithful to you. And then look at look at uh, chapter five. Look at chapter five of Deuteronomy. What do you see on chapter five of Deuteronomy? Look, here's why your Bible should be highlighted and not underlined. Okay. What's on that? What's on your page? Look at it. What is Ten it? The Ten Commandments. What's he giving the Ten Commandments again for? We already got the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Be they weren't listening. <laughs> listening to what I'm saying to you. Okay, so this is real, and then all of the rest of those chapters, then from five to twenty-seven, all the way. If you scan, I want you to look at all of like your headers, the, the nice you know Ignatius Press people put in there for you, right? All those headers. What are those headers about? They're about two fundamental things, most of them. Right, they're about worship and about sexual relations. The vast majority of those chapters are about those things. Why? It's that sin of Moab. You've been playing the harlot. Yeah. Worshiping their, go- uh, their gods and so forth. Okay. Not good at all. Um, and so Moses goes ahead and explains the law. And then we have to look at just one chapter here in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Take a look. Chapter 17, verse 14. When you come to the land, which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then you say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations that are round about me, you may indeed set a king over you. Him whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren whom he set as king over you. You shall not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only when you do this, your king cannot... Multiply horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt. Remember that. Okay. Uh, uh, you shall never. Okay. You shall never go, go back there. Right. Verse 17. And he shall not multiply wives for himself. Remember that. Okay. And verse if, if further on, he shall not make himself rich by, with silver and gold. Okay. There you go. Big warning guys. Don't multiply your horses. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't multiply your wives. Yes. And don't get yourself exceedingly rich. That's what the king is not allowed to do. And God's going to choose the king, not you. Okay. Those are the rules. You remember De- Deuteronomy chapter 17, because we're about to meet a guy who does the exact thing, and it's going to cause disaster for God's people and salvation history. Okay. If, and, and look at chapter 28, verse 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated. If, okay. And if you do these things, that's the sentence I missed. If you do these things, here's what's going to happen to you. Right. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a whore to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead bodies shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And there shall be none to frighten them away. The Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt. Okay, And if you're not faithful to the Lord, then you're going to be faithful to the one who has death by nature. And then what will be revealed in your bodies is what is true about what's going on in your soul. Chapter 30, verse one.
2: And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. And return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you this day with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes And have compassion upon you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you.
1: Okay, there it is, right? So if you're disobedient, which actually Moses says you're going to be, God's going to cast you out of his house, or actually, you're going to cast yourself out of his house. But when you're in exile, when you find yourself out in Ur of the Chaldees, right? When you find yourself in Egypt and you repent in your heart, God will listen, but repentance is required. Okay, there's the basic thing. Verse 15, Kelsey, go ahead.
2: See, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you this day by loving the Lord, your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord, your God will bless you in the land, which you are entering to take possession of it.
1: Okay, beautiful. I set before you life and death. There it is, right? is you choose to yoke yourself to the evil one. And this is, we're going to see this over and over again throughout salvation history. Oh, why? Oh, that God of the Old Testament, he's mean God. He's a bad God. I mean, look, he's telling people to kill people. My brothers and sisters, these are the walking dead. The only reason they are still alive in their body while they're dead in their soul is so that God can give them time to repent. Yes? It is in God's mercy that he allows us to live in our bodies, when we have made a decision with our soul, but when we actively turn ourselves, we actively join the other team and begin trying to actively destroy the work of restoration, then God will allow it to be revealed in our bodies the truth which He already chosen in our soul. Does that make sense? God is not the author of death. He sets before us a choice, and our choices have consequences, yes? In chapter 34, um, you can read it yourself. Moses dies outside of the Holy Land. And Joshua, in chapter 34, verse 9, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses laid his hands upon him. Joshua takes up the people and leads them across the Jordan River. Now, if he's going to lead them across the Jordan River, come on, Travis, Angie, Teresa. If he's going to enter us back in the promised land, remember, you remember When Jacob came back from his uncle's house and he's coming back to the promised land, he's going to meet his brother. Remember who he wrestles with. Same thing happens over and over again in salvation history. Who's standing, who's guarding the way? Angels. Look at Joshua chapter five, Joshua chapter five, verse 10. Go ahead, Kelsey.
2: While the sons of Israel were encamped in Gilgah, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at evening in the plains of Jericho. And on the next day, after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased on the next day.
1: I'm just going to stop for a second, guys. Notice what happens here. The manna is a prefigurement. It's a preparation for what? The fruit of the garden. And what does Jesus say about the Eucharist? The Eucharist is the fulfillment of the manna, which means that the Eucharist and the and the fruit of paradise are one. Yes? So when you're reading the Bible, you have to keep the garden front and center, okay? So that you can allow Jesus to speak as he would have spoken to them. And they would have understood what he is saying. Yeah? The fruit of paradise is the tree of life from which Adam and Eve were meant to live forever. It's not by accident that Jesus gives us the Eucharist. If he didn't, he wouldn't be the savior because he wouldn't be giving us back that which we lost. Does that make sense? Okay, now they come, they hold the Passover, keep going.
2: Kelsey, look at this. Joshua lifts up his eyes. He's at the edge of paradise. And when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord bid his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, put off your shoes from your feet for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so.
1: Okay. So they, they, they meet the angels. They enter back into paradise. Okay. But not as we would expect. Finally, finally. Right. Well, the first person, I just say one thing about Rahab in chapter two of Joshua is Rahab is an icon of, of God's people. I mean, Rahab's a historic person, yes, but she stands for more than Rahab, right? The, the people who had yoked themselves to Baal of Peor, those that had played the harlot with the daughters of Moab, yes, we now meet a harlot who repents and is saved and enters back into the family of God, yeah? A very beautiful story, the story of Rahab. She's going to become a member of God's people, and she is going to be one of the few women that are named in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, Joshua chapter 7, but the people of Israel, listen to this, this is right after the fall of Jericho, okay? Right after the fall of Jericho, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to vote the devoted things. From Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zeran, of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. No! So they, Jericho falls and what do they do? They go grab some of the idols. Yeah? Remember what I said. It was easier to get Israel out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of Israel. Right? And over and over and over again, the same uh, uh, the, the same story kind of uh, happens, right? I, I, I can't say it. It's like every story, right? Nimrod! What are you thinking? You just marched around the walls of Jer- Jericho seven times and the walls came crashing down. And now you're going to go find faith in these things. No, but this is what they do. Okay. This is going to be our story all the way through salvation history, all the way to Babel, the Babylonian exile. J- uh, uh, J- uh, Joshua chapter seven through chapter 24 is the story of that struggle. They're, they're, they go into the promised land. It's, if they're faithful to the Lord, they win their battles. They get their cities back and, and so forth. If they're not faithful to the Lord, they lose. Okay. You can read about all those stories. It's the same story over and over and over again. It's the story of faithfulness, right? Exactly, Teresa. It's like, a, it's like just like this. And if you know this, you know, the whole Bible it's over and over again. And you know why it's like this? Cause we're stupid and we got to hear it over and over again. Cause guess what's going on in my life and yours like this you got a bunch of idols in your life. I know you do. We all do, right? And, and, and it's like this. And, and, and the story of salvation in history is there to teach us God's faithfulness in the midst of our unfaithfulness, okay? Chapter 24 of uh, Joshua. Here we are, chapter 24. Oh, this is one of those chapters, okay? Joshua's about to die, and he says, he says, um, he says, it's just like Moses, right? I said before you, life and death. So, chapter twenty-four. The first part of it just recalls the story of them crossing through the desert, right? Telling them what God had done for them. Verse fourteen. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and the faith and faithfulness. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the Jordan and beyond, beyond the river, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Okay, now you guys got to read this. You you know what they're saying? They snuck idols out of Egypt. And they've been keeping them in their tent the whole time, right? So what do the people say? Verse fifteen. And if you were, if you'd be willing to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of the of your fathers served, the, and so forth. Verse sixteen. Then the people answered, "Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods." Verse twenty three. Then he said to them, "Then put away the foreign gods which are among you." <laughs> okay. So they, they're sitting up playing this game, and he knows that they've got under their little pillow, right, in their sleeping bags, they've got their little idols. Do you see that? And if you see that, you understand the story behind the story, okay? Judges chapter 2, verse 6. Yes, ch- Judges chapter 2, verse 6. So, Judge, again, Judges kind of goes back a little bit right at the beginning. It does, like, numbers. It just does that little bit of a whoop de doo at the beginning of the chapter. So it comes back and tells you about Joshua's death again. Look at this in ch- chapter 2, verse 6. Go, Go, Kelsey.
2: When Joshua dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work which the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the bounds of his inheritance in timnath in the hill country of Ephraim north of the mountain of Gesh, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work, which he had done for there Israel. Is not,
1: what work had the Lord done? I've, I've talked to you guys about this passage before. What work had the Lord had done? What are they talking about? The crossing of the red sea, the manna, the feeding, right? Or the, the, the water from the rock, right? All of the battles that they went, Moses holding his arms up, right? against the Amorites and the Hittites and the, they hadn't, they hadn't told them anything. There was another, they didn't know what God had done for them. Why? Because the former generation just didn't tell them. They didn't tell them a story across the Red Sea. Holy shnikes. Do you see? And, it's, and that's, I don't need to make a big catechesis here, but maybe when Q and A, we can talk about it. Okay, that's, and that's the fundamental breakdown of what's going on today in our, in our, in our church. Okay. I'm just going to go back to Joshua J- judges, chapter one, verse one, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up, right? Cause Judah is the firstborn, right? Judah is going to not the first one. He's the one who receives the blessing, right? And then he's going to go up. Okay. That's the tribe of Judah. Look at verse eight. And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. So finally, now, after all this time, the whole, the whole all of, of, of Joshua's elderly years and so like they finally take Jerusalem. Why do I point this out to you? Because we have allowed for a while now the story of the kings to kind of go undercover, haven't we? Because if you're the king and you stand up in the midst of a foreign land and you say, I'm king, they're going to kill you. They cut your head off, right? So the kings go, there's a number of times in salvation history when they disappear. This is one of them. So now during the time of the judges, we can start to see once they're free, they're in the land, they're secure. We can start to see the, uh, the, the king's, uh, return. Okay. And it's going to take just a little bit of time for us to see that judges chapter two, verse 16 gives you the whole book of judges so that we don't have to go through the whole book. Okay. Verse six, chapter two, verse 16. Go ahead, Kelsey.
2: Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the power of those who plundered them. And yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was bid the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and behaved worse than their fathers going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them.
1: There's the story of judges. Okay. And you know, you, you know, the judge, right? With Deborah, Gideon, Samson, right? The the, the kind of great and final just Samuel, right? These are the, these are the stories of judges. And it's just a cyclical story. Yep. I'm going back to Teresa here and see those keep doing the same thing. Right. And God keeps saving them, and they keep falling into sin. As soon as the guy dies, back they go, okay? And it's in the midst of this now, in the midst of the story of the judges, in the book of Judges, that you have to stick the next book of your Bible. Turn to Ruth, the book of Ruth, okay? And Kelsey's going to read us the first, give us two verses.
2: In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab.
1: You guys got to be paying attention, right? Because you haven't heard much about the tribe of Judah in a while, all of a sudden, chapter one of Judges, they're back in the land. They get they get the they get this throne city, and all of a sudden, the the, the tribe of Judah starts coming back up to the surface. Okay, so now we've got a whole book about a guy who's a descendant of Judah. Look out, the kings are coming back. Okay, keep going, one more verse, and then I'm going to go to another verse.
2: The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Shilion.
1: Okay, fine. Here's what happens: There's a famine in the land. This family goes to Egypt. Okay, the 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 uh, the wife's name Naomi, and in Egypt, all horror takes place. Okay, not Egypt, Moab, Jordan. Um, horror of horrors. Naomi's husband dies, and then her two sons who marry Moabite women, both die. She finds herself in Moab in Jordan with two daughter-in-laws. And she says to them, I've got nothing left. Look, to be a a, a widow in those days was just, it was horrible. She says, I have nothing left. I'm going back to my family, okay? I'm going back to see if I can take refuge with my family. I have nothing to give you. I'm leaving you here. She begins leaving Jordan and she looks back and she sees one of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth. And look at chapter, chapter 1, verse 15. Actually, so, oh yeah, go to verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there, will be, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if even death parts me from you. One of the most beautiful moments all of us in here. Beautiful insight of um, Jeff Cabin says this. At a time when Israel was turning away from the one God to follow many gods. Ruth turned from the worship of many to follow the one. Uh, the story of Ruth is very beautiful. I encourage you to read it. It's very short um, reading. Ruth ends up going back and meeting her next of kin, whose name is Boaz from the tribe of Judah. And she ends up getting married and having a child. And You pick up the, the end of the story here. Uh, let's read um, from uh, Ruth chapter 4. Verse
2: 13 to the end. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter in law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi.
1: Obviously, it's a, it's a grandson, right? It's like her sons have been restored to her through Ruth. I mean, this, if, you're, if you don't get emotional reading this, Ruth's witness is so unbelievably beautiful and, and how she follows faithfully and then life is restored, right? The woman of the dead son now has children again. Anyways, okay, finish right there to verse 17.
2: They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David.
1: Now, you get in your Bible the next genealogy. And you know when you hit a genealogy, Father Theodore, you pay attention, right? Because we have followed this genealogy. Stop for a moment. From Adam and Eve, right? We follow him. Come on, Vincenzo, get up here. We're going to do it again real quick. Real quick. We're going to go fast, like super fast. Adam, I, I'm going to ask you questions. And you guys are going to answer with him, okay? So God made our first parents in paradise. Their names were? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had two sons. Uh, Cain and Abel. And Cain did what to Abel? Killed him. And they gave him a third son, and his name was? Seth. Seth. And Seth had a great, 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 great grandson who walked with God, and God took him, for he was not. His name was? Enoch. Enoch and Enoch had a grand grand great, grandson who who built the ark at the time of the flood. Noah. And Noah had three sons. Which one received the blessing? Uh, Shem. Shem and Shem had a great 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 great. You guys better be doing this with me right now. Great 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 grandson great, great, called out Ur of Ur the Chaldees. His name was Abraham. And Abraham's son.
0: Isaac. Yeah, and Isaac's son. Jacob.
1: Jacob and Jacob got a new name. His name was changed to Israel. and Israel. Israel. Israel had twelve sons. Which one received the blessing? Uh, Judah. Sh- Judah, right? Judah and Judah had a son. We that was the last guy we we saw in the genealogy. Perez, right? Now, look, Perez, now watch this, guys, chapter in verse 18. Now, these are the descendants of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron of Ram, Ram of Abinadab, Abinadab of Nation, Nation of Solomon, Solomon of, of, uh, uh, sorry, I I wasn't even reading it. Nation of Solomon, Solomon of Boaz, Boaz of Obed, Obed of Jesse, Jesse of King David. That genealogy is the genealogy of the guys that went into Egypt. And it's the first time in your Bible, you hear their names. They were slaves in Egypt Well, they were kings of God's people. And now that they're free in the land again, bam, the genealogy comes back and the King goes back to the throne. Yes. All right. I hope that's helpful uh, to you. We stopped it. We have to, we have to fly here, but we're doing, we're doing great here. Judges. We're going to just go back to judges chapter 21. Verse, that's the last, look at this, it's the last verse. Okay, Kelsey, give us to us, verse 25.
2: In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Okay,
1: okay, let these texts, what does that mean, right, Travis? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Is it going to be good? Not really. No, no it's going to be bad news, right? So there's the story of the judges heading into the story Um uh, uh, uh of uh, of the kings okay now the first next book in your bible after ruth is first samuel okay so let's go ahead and take a look at it very quickly and we're just gonna grab a couple of, of verses for ourselves so we're gonna go from verse one go ahead and start reading and i'm gonna push you forward really fast kelsey
2: <laughs> there was a certain <laughs> man of Ramathaim yeah
1: the whole country of ephraim
2: <laughs> and the whole country of ephraim whose name was elkanah the son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, Zuf and Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other Peninnah.
1: Here's going to be the story. In chapter one of the birth of Samuel, right? Hannah's barren. And in the Bible, when someone's barren, get ready for God to do something great. Right. And Hannah's, Hannah goes to the temple to pray but her husband only gives her a half a portion to offer to God because his favorite wife, who's not barren, he gives all the goods. So she goes to the temple and she's, she's weeping before the Lord, right? And she makes a vow to the Lord. It's right here in chapter two, chapter, no, chapter one, verse 11.
2: She vowed a vow and said, "O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give to your maidservant a son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Okay. So she dedicates
1: her son. She says, Lord, if you will give me a son, I'll dedicate him to the service of the tent of the meeting, right? Of the, uh, uh, and, and, and she gets pregnant and she gets pregnant with Samuel. She has the baby, right? And she goes to dedicate him to the Lord. And she prays this prayer in chapter two, verse one, Hannah also prayed. Go ahead, Kelsey.
2: My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation.
1: What's There's that sound like, Kelsey?
2: Um, uh, Mary's prayer? Uh, yeah.
1: No, but it's not exactly the same as it, Kelsey. No. Right, guys? It's a little different, but man, is it close, right? Why is Mary... What's going on? Mary knew Hannah's prayer, but not because she, she didn't read reading it on a scroll in the Gospel of Luke, Right she's internalized the prayer and she's in it's and, and why has she internalized the prayer so, so much so that at the moment of, of 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 god's intervention in her life it pours out of her why because hannah is her mother saint anna is the same name as hannah hannah the prophetess in in the old testament is the patron saint of anna who's the mother of mary And how did Mary then learn this prayer? Because as she was being raised by her mother, she taught her this prayer because she was devoted to her namesake. Isn't that beautiful? The Magnificat is Hannah's prayer. Go read the life of Hannah. You love the mother of God. Do you love the mother of God? She loved Hannah. Do you want to love what the mother of God loves? Go read the story of Hannah. Okay, very beautiful story. Let's move on. Chapter 8, Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 8. Samuel ends up growing up and becoming a judge of Israel, and he has two worthless sons, okay? And uh, not uncommon. Uh, Here we go. Chapter 8, verse 1, Kelsey. We're going to read chapter 8, verse 1, verse through 9, I think.
2: When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to govern us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel. What do do you guys
1: think? I got to ask you a question. Is this a good request or not? Right. Before it says when you come into the land. Right. So what do you think? Good. Good question. What's the problem with what the people are asking? What's the problem with what the people are asking? Read your text right there. Give me a text. Show me what's show me what's being said here. Go ahead. Come on, Teresa. Take yourself off of you. Because the Lord says when you come into the land, you, you can have a king. Not one of their brothers. Not one yeah. of their. No, no, it has to be one. No, God
0: chooses. Jesus.
1: It's God be one God-choose. And look at the text. What do they ask for? They want a king like God? All the all other, the other Like all the other all nations round about them. Right, exactly. Okay, keep reading, Kelsey, really quick verse 6.
2: But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Yeah.
1: Who is king of God's people? It's the Lord. The king of God's people is to be in his image and likeness, right? But they don't want a king like that. Turn your page, chapter nine, sorry, chapter eight, verse 19.
2: But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations.
1: There it is. That's it right there so that we might be like the Moabites and the Amorites. And then so we can go ahead and do child sacrifice and get involved in the golden calf and all that. Their hearts, their hearts were not right. Yeah. They all of the time, after 40 years, after all this time, the life of Joshua, they still got their stupid idols in their tents. Keep going, Kelsey.
2: That we may be like all the nations and that our King may govern us and go up before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zerar, son of Bechareth, son yeah, yeah, yeah. of and a Abraham, a Benjamite, Benjamin. a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome. And young he man.
1: was a handsome young man. Boy, could he could he debate on the television? Let me tell you, this mm-hmm. guy when he got up there, he could be a movie star. So handsome, so good looking. Yeah. All right. So this is the problem. Look at chapter. They 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 go to anoint him. Chapter ten, verse um, verse twenty. Then. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near and his families, and the family was taken by Lot. Finally, he brought the family of the Metrites near, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Why? He was hiding. Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Okay, So they choose this guy. He's sure good looking. But the guy's a weasel, okay? They got what they asked for. A, a king like all the other nations. There you have it. Saul ends up committing two major sins, uh, which you can read about. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, well, you go going to write these down if you want to write them down in your notes. First Samuel chapter 3, 13, verse 4 through 13. You can also read First Samuel chapter 15, verse 7 through 15. And 1 Samuel 15, verses 24 through 29 you know he ends up sacrificing on his own apart from apart from Samuel he ends up uh he 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 does beat another this other group of guys and he takes their leader and he he keeps him as a trophy okay he ends up it's 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 not good so god it says uh, uh, seeks another another man so in 1 first samuel chapter 16 verse 1 kelsey let's go ahead
2: the lord said to Samuel How long will you grieve over Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons.
0: Okay, verse six.
2: When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees; man looks on the outward appearance, but you the Lord this? looks on the heart.
1: You see that. Now it's going to say it's going to say that David is 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 good looking. Okay, but you have to read behind the story. What kind of what kind of looks does he have? What kind of man is God's, Does God see? Does he see him as beautiful? Does he see him as handsome? Absolutely but not the way man sees him as handsome and good-looking, right? Because he sees the heart. Keep reading, Kelsey.
2: Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one.
1: Okay, so he goes, here's what he does. His dad, the dad, Jesse, hauls all his boys in front of Samuel and says, here, take my oldest son. Oh, take this one. Take this one. Take this one. And Samuel's like, no, no, no. The Lord doesn't want that one. The Lord doesn't want that one. And finally, he says, is there any? Don't you have any more sons? I'm supposed to come here to make a king. And uh, he says, "Ah, oh, where well, there's my youngest piddly son, and he's out in the field taking care of the sheep." So here's you got to read the story, right? The sons of Jesse are a bunch of lazy, worthless bums hanging around playing the Atari with their dad in their dad's living room, while their youngest son, while their
2: youngest brother is actually out doing the work.
1: Yeah. Go ahead, Kelsey, verse 11.
2: And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Okay.
1: So, okay, now there's there's multiple anointing anointings that happen. We don't have time to get into why, but I've talked about in other Bible studies. There's multiple anointings privately with a family and then gradually getting bigger and bigger, right? In front of all the nation. So we see these multiple anointings happen. There's a fight that happens between Saul and 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 uh and and David for a long time. Why does God choose David? Why does God choose David? Because of what's on his heart. What kind of man does he want to to take care of his people? A dictator? No. He wants a shepherd who will shepherd his people in the image and likeness of the one who is the shepherd of all. Second Samuel chapter five, verses one through five. Go ahead.
2: Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you that led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince yeah. over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before okay, the Lord.
1: Say time, we just stop right there. There it is, right? God's looking for someone whose heart is a shepherd. Yeah, and that's why he chooses David from the tribe of Judah, right, a a, a Bethlehemite, right, Bethlehem is within the, within the territory of Judah, Bethlehem's right near, near Jerusalem, okay, um, and, uh, and, and it's going to be, it's going to be, um, uh, chosen to shepherd God's people there, okay, now what is the book, which is traditionally, uh, attributed to King David? The Psalms. The Psalms, exactly, right, so again, guys, just like all these other books, you had to fit them in the right place. You don't read the Psalms out of context. Don't play Russian roulette with your Psalms, okay? I mean, you know, open up to Psalm 109, the cursing Psalm, when it says, like, may my, my enemies' children be fatherless and may they wander around. I mean, it's not very inspiring. Yeah. Don't play Russian roulette with, your, uh, w- w- with the Psalms. Read it in the context of the guy who wrote it. I'll give you a great example of this is Psalm 23. Turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 23. Now notice, keep your hand. Stop. Put your hand in your Bible right there in 2 Samuel because you want to lose your spot. Okay, and keep the rest of our Bible. So you have to do this rest of the night together. Okay, keep your hand there. Flip with me to the book of Psalms. Notice how far away it is. Your Bible. The books of your Bible are not in chronological order. So you can't just keep reading the next book. It ain't going to work. Yeah. Look at Psalm 23. Kelsey, go ahead. Psalm 23, verse one.
2: The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay.
1: And what are you thinking of right now? Your grandmother's funeral, right? You can't. That's bad. That's bad religion. You can't do it. I don't mean your grandmother's funeral is bad. I mean, it's bad biblical exegesis because your phantasms, your, your mind is shooting off about the last time you heard this psalm at your Roman Catholic funeral. That's not its context. You want to know what its context was? Is that little boy who was left out to shepherd by his stupid brothers. He was the youngest kid and they sent him out there and he's taking care of his dad's flock, and the sun's setting, and when the sun starts to set in the valley, the little animals in the bushes and start moving around, and it's scary for a boy. It was there that David turned to the Lord. He said, Lord, be my shepherd. Be my shepherd in this moment of difficulty in my life. Lead me out of this the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death. Bring me home again, safe. That's David's prayer. And if you understand that, you read the life of David, then you read the Psalms, the Psalms are gonna come alive for you because David is an example of you who've been abandoned by your brothers and sisters, who've been abandoned out there in the wilderness, who found yourself in that shadow of the, the valley. I wonder what my life is all about. Am I gonna make it out okay? Then and only then can you understand why the church uses it in the funeral service. The one who's walking through the shadow of the valley of death and is fearing. Will the Lord be faithful to me? And the answer is yes, because he's been faithful the whole time. Okay, I'll read you from, uh, from uh, Ronald Knox's commentary on the Psalms. He says, the Psalms of David are, as it were, the church's nursery rhymes. It is on that music that she falls back for consolation. The Psalms of David, we call them, learned people would have us believe that this is a false title. The collection is only an anthology of various authors. It certainly does seem reasonable, saving the better judgment of the church to suppose that a psalm written about the Babylonian captivity was written by somebody who had experience of it. But even if you allow for that here and there, common sense tells you that the bulk of the Psalter is King David's work. In the first place, because a great literary tradition does not grow round a man's name unless he really has some literary work to his credit. Imitators do not arise until there's something to imitate. You can trace David all through the Psalms as Goethe's work is full of Goethe. David's work is full of David. You are haunted everywhere by the echoes of his breathless career. By association, the Psalms have become a great organ of human sentiment upon whose stops the Holy Spirit varies the moods of divine melody. Imagine for a moment a devout Jew reading the Psalter, reading the same phrases that you read. Think what those phrases meant to him and what they mean to you. Thus each of us, as he goes through the Psalter, can trace in it a kind of secret code, a cipher, by which God and the soul speak to one another. Isn't that beautiful? Turn, Turn back with me very quickly to 2 Samuel chapter 7. One of the more important chapters in your entire Bible, especially when it comes to talking about uh, the coming of the Messiah. in chapter 7 is the covenant between God and David, okay? David wants to build the temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. They've finally taken the throne city back, and now he wants to build the temple. But the Lord says, no, your son will, will, will uh, will build my temple, Okay. And we're going to go back to verse chapter seven, just for sake of time, verse eight. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts. Go ahead, Kelsey.
2: Thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appoint judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son.
1: This is sorry. I guess just stop you there, but how the chapter seven of, of, uh, second Samuel is huge. Okay. The son of David will also be the son of God and his throne will remain forever. And it is this promise of 2 Samuel 7 that drives the hope of God's people after the Babylonian exile when it appears as though everything is lost. It is not by accident that time and time again in the gospel account, Jesus is called the son of David. He is called the son of David because he is the new Solomon who has come to rebuild the temple of God, the house of God, so that God may dwell among his people again. And yes, he will be both the son of David and the son of God. Now, who is the son of David? Historically, who is the son of David? Solomon. Solomon, but Solomon is not his first son. Absalom is his first son. But Absalom pulls a Reuben, not a good idea. You can read it about yourself in 2nd Samuel chapter 16. We're not going to go there. It's chapter 16 verse 21. We're not going there right now. Solomon uh, David rejects his son and blesses his son Solomon to become to become the next Messiah, right? The next king. Turn your Bibles to first Kings verse 32. Go ahead.
2: King David said, call to me Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, and Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king and the king said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and cause Solomon, my son, to ride on my own mule And bring him down to Gihon, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel.
1: And verse 38.
2: So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, long live King Solomon.
1: It's not. Look, guys, Jesus comes over the Mount of Olives and he sees what's going on. And the people start calling out Hosanna to the son of David. He says, stop. I'm not going into Jerusalem walking. I'm going in riding." And when he did that, the roof was ripped off the whole thing the people went crazy. They started ripping down branches, throwing them on, taking off their cloaks and throwing them in front of him. And he did it on purpose because of this passage. And they knew exactly what he was doing. The Jews knew what he was doing. The children knew what he was doing. And Jesus knew what he was doing. Yeah. Now, Solomon, traditionally, um, uh, the, the, the book of Proverbs, okay, um is traditionally associated with solomon yeah you can look at first kings chapter four. four first kings chapter four verse 32 give it to us kelsey verse 32
2: he also uttered three thousand proverbs and his songs were a thousand and five
1: there you go okay so so again what are you going to do when you're going to read proverbs or song of solomon you're not going to just pull it out like isn't that what we do song of solomon or like Talking about all these love, all these, all this love language in the song. No, you got to go back and read the life of Solomon if you're going to understand Proverbs, just like you have to read the life of King David if you're going to understand the, the, the Psalter. Does that make sense? Okay. The life of, of, of Solomon is, is a bit of a rocky one. We're going to take a look at that in just a minute, guys. Okay. If you know this, you're going to understand. I'm the whole thing now is, a, is a, it's like dominoes, boom, to Jesus. OK, you think I can't go from King David to Jesus. I'm about to do it in one hour and you're not leaving here till I am done, even if I go over an hour. OK, now here we go. Solomon, I said, bit of a mixed bag. Yes, filled with wisdom. Yes, a, a, a saint of the church. But in the middle of that whole thing, some things didn't go all that well. Take a look at chapter 10, first Kings, chapter 10, verse 23. Give it to us, Kelsey. Now, before you do it, before you do it, remember Deuteronomy chapter 17. When you go in the land, guys, you can have a king, one God chooses, only he can't do a couple things, right? Chapter twenty ten, verse 23. Go, Kelsey.
2: Thus, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Verse 28. Whole- and Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt in Q, and the king's traders received them from Q at a price. his oh, chariot could be imported okay. from Egypt. Chapter 11. Don't do it, Solomon. <laughs> now King Solomon loved many foreign women. The daughter of Pharaoh and Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidoniah, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Now,
1: I his- don't know what you need 300 concubines for. We got 700 wives, but I mean, it's up to Solomon, but I mean, <laughs> not good. Okay, keep going Now, I, I already mentioned to you guys the building of the temple, which is which is Solomon's great work, right? I'm, I'm not going to go back. I was supposed to mention it earlier. You can write First Kings chapter six, verses one and verse eleven through thirteen, okay? Um, and and the building of the temple takes seven. Solomon builds the temple takes him seven years, okay? And the description of the holy of holies is, is it's covered in flowers and gourds and lilies, right? So it's, it's a golden garden, yeah seven years because God took seven days, right, to to create the world. Temple in Jerusalem is is designed to be a microcosm of the universe and a reestablishment of paradise. Told you before, the Jews believed Jerusalem was the original location of the Garden of Eden. And the rock upon which Solomon built the temple was the same rock that Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac. The tradition says it is the same rock that Noah's ark came to rest and it was the same rock that, 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 um, that, that God created Adam and Eve on. And it was the same rock, which was the first point come forth when God parted the waters at creation. And it's on that rock that God chose, that Solomon chose to build the temple at the beginning of the reestablishment of paradise. Okay. Now, Solomon, it goes from bad to worse. Uh, chapter 11, verse 26 Now, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zeradah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow also lifted his hand against the king. So here's what's going on. You got to remember these two names now. Jeroboam, write that down or underline it. Jeroboam is a servant in Solomon's house. He ends up gaining power and becoming a right hand man to Solomon. Okay. But all does not go well for him. Okay. Verse 27. And this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against King Solomon. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the breach in the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was very able. When Solomon saw the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. What? Joseph? The guy that your forefathers sold into Egypt such that they ended up in slavery? Solomon enslaved them again! you see that? And if you want to act like Egypt, well, then you can go into exile again. If you want to side with the slave masters, then go live with the slave masters. At this moment in the story, the whole thing starts to break apart. Okay. Kelsey, keep reading from verse 29.
2: And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite found him on the road. Now Ahijah had clad himself with a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. It's probably Ahijah, maybe. But Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, "'Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon.'" And we'll give you 10 tribes.
1: There you go. Okay. So there's going to be a schism now in the, among the tribes, the kingdom of of David's going to break apart. Verse 40.
2: Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt to Shishka king of Egypt and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did in his wisdom are, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was forty years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his stead. Okay,
1: now this gets very confusing. Now you got Jeroboam and Rehoboam. They weren't very inventive about the names. Okay, Jeroboam, Jeroboam is not his son, but Rehoboam is. Jeroboam's going to cause the schism. Well, actually, Rehoboam his son is going to cause it, and Jeroboam is going to end up taking the north. And, 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 his, and his son, Rehoboam, is going, to be, is going to reign over Jerusalem. Okay? It's a little bit confusing. I, I remember it like this. Jeroboam, like Jerusalem, is not the right guy. He's up north. Rehoboam is the guy in the south. It's like cockeyed backwards, but it's the way I memorize it. Anyways, but here's, here's what happens to Rehoboam. Rehoboam says he comes to the throne, and he says, now how am I going to, to, to reign as king? He says, he calls his father's counselors around him. And he says, look, how am I going to make the people follow me? And they say to him in their wisdom, because they're older guys, right? They say, to him, look, your father taxed the people hard. He built the temple. It was hard for them. He enslaved Joseph. Give these people a break and they're going to follow you. Right? Give them a tax cut. Okay. Rehoboam. And they're going to like you and follow you. So th- and then he, Rehoboam calls his friends to him, the young guys around him. It's all right there. You can read about it. And the young guys say, tax them harder because you're going to have more money, right? And whose advice does Rehoboam take? Verse 13.
2: And the king answered the people harshly and forsaking the counsel, which the old men had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke to Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebit. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel departed to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the sons of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam made haste to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only.
1: Okay, there you go. Now here, guys, you have to realize this because we're about to head into the prophets. Now, this is the time when the prophets come, okay? Because they're warning about what's going, what what the coming disaster is, okay? You have to know that the northern 10 tribes are called Israel and the southern tribe is called Judah now. Before this... Israel to, uh, is, is, is everybody, right? Because they're all the sons of Israel. But now these two different names are used. The northern tribes become called Israel and the southern tribe called Judah, at least for now, for the, for the coming generations, okay? If you know that, you can be able to understand the prophets and who they're writing to, okay? And also the change out of the different kings, which we're going to take a look at. Okay, so this happens. Verse 26, verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart. actually before you before you do that just gonna flip back one page to remind you verse 40 sorry chapter 11 verse 40 kelsey read it i didn't make a big deal out of it solomon sought therefore to kill, Jer- kill jeroboam but jeroboam rose and what did he do he fled to bingo look at verse tw- uh, chapter 12 verse 26 and jeroboam said in his heart now the kingdom will turn back to the house of david if these people go up to sacrifice in the house of the lord at Jerusalem." Then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem, (laughs) behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. No! Okay? And they're going to become pagan idol worshipers. Why? Because he went back to Egypt and he brought Egypt back in his heart with him. You see that? Okay. I'm to keep calm here. This is where all the prophets come in. And if you, if you understand this, you, the first question you're going to ask yourself is when is the prophet prophesying? And, and, and as far as the writing prophets are concerned, those who have books, you're going to get that in chapter one, verse one of their book every time. That they lived during this, this king's time, right? And all of these kings that are now going to come from first kings and second kings, the generations now, you just have to find out who the, guy's prophesying during his life and what's going on in the life of Israel. Never read a prophet without going back to first and second Kings and understanding what's going on during that time. Once you understand that you can read the prophet as they're meant to be, to be read. Make sense. You're going to identify who the King is. That's reigning. The second question you're going to ask yourself is, is this guy prophesying to the North or to the South? Okay. And then you're in business to read your 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 prophet, and then profit from the words of the prophet. Yeah. Okay. That was a little joke. Okay. So, um, again, you're asking yourself those basic questions: who, what, why, where, and when. And if you got that, you're you're going to be in shape. All those profits pretty much come between the year 950, okay, and 750, and that's the, the years that we're, we're we're working in here now. In the north, now they're going to need a throne city, and after. Uh, After Jeroboam, there's another king. There's a little schism that takes place, a, a civil war that takes place in the north. One guy wins out, and he establishes his throne city in 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 21 through 24, Kelsey.
2: Then the sons of Israel were divided into two parts. Half of the people followed the son of Ginnath, to make him king and half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri overcame the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath. So Tibni died and Omri became king. In the 21st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri began to reign over Israel and reigned for 12 years. Six years he reigned in Tisra. He bought the hill of uh, Samaria from Shemir for two talents of silver and he fortified the hill and called the name of the city which he built Samaria. There you go. Through hey. the name of Shemer.
1: Yeah, so the guy's name is Samar. It's, a, it's the hill of Samer, right? And that, that becomes a throne city of the north. Super important when you're reading the Samaritans to know who they are because the throne city becomes identified. Or I should say the whole of the northern 10 tribes will often be identified with the throne city. Makes sense, right? So the Samaritan people come from the northern 10 tribes. It's not the whole story. We have to look at the rest of the story. Second Kings chapter 17. And what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? They set up golden calves and the whole thing is going to go crumbling down, right? Second Kings chapter 17, verse one, Kelsey.
2: In the 12th year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of Elha began to reign in Samaria over Israel. And he reigned nine years and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his vassal.
1: Okay, verse
2: six. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on okay. the Habor. You know,
1: so here's what, here's what the Assyrians like to do they go in, they conquer people. Okay. So, so, so as the Assyrians march on, on the northern ten tribes who have now yoked themselves to the golden calf and to Egypt, right? They can't stay in the house of God anymore. They got to get out of paradise. They can't live like that anymore. So the Assyrians come in, they conquer them, and they take away most of the people, but not all the people. And in verse 24, you'll see what the Assyrians like to do. They take a people they conquered. And they go and they take them to somewhere else so they, they can't revolt, right? If you're not in your home, you don't have a, you don't know where the grocery store is. You don't know where the gun shop is. You don't know how to get supplies, right? And so he takes them out and distributes them among all the other places they've conquered. And then he imports a bunch of other people's conquered into this land. Look at chapter 20, uh, verse 24. Mm-hmm.
2: And the kings of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvim, <laughs> yes, and placed them in the cities of Samaria. Instead of the sons of Israel, and they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, The nations which you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land therefore he has sent lions among them and behold they are killing them okay and then, then the story
1: know. goes on he says he says you got to get the god of the land back again right they're pagan peoples right you got to bring the god of the land back so we can protect the people and so look at verse 33 so they feared the lord but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations among whom they had been carried, carried away to this day they do according to the former manner. this is the samaritans They're like, they're like Jewish, or not Jewish, they're Israeli half-breeds, right? They're all married in, mixed in, they're worshiping false gods, but they're also married, they're also worshiping Yahweh. That's the Samaritan woman at the well, okay? And when you read in that context, it makes a hell of a lot of sense of what Jesus is talking about. All of a sudden, their conversation breaks into who's worshiping whom, You worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain, right? Why? Because that's the fundamental argument about what's taking place. And that's why the Samaritans are not trusted by the Jews. Now, the North is gone, right? It's been conquered. Um, Judah is left in the South. Jerusalem is its capital city. And the prophets continue prophesying against them because things aren't great there either, okay? Now, among the kings that are in these generations, most of them are bad news, they are in the image and likeness of uh, of Rehoboam. There's two kings you got to know about that are solid guys. Okay, very holy. The first one I'm going to show you is one of the holiest men of the Old Testament. You're going to have great devotion once you know who he is. Okay, Second Kings chapter 18, verse one. Kelsey, give it to us.
2: In the Second, third year of Hoshea, son of Elha, king of Israel. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign.
1: There he goes. Keep reading, though. What kind of guy is he?
2: He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother, his mother's name was Abi, the son of Zechariah. Sorry, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had you done. He walked
1: in the ways of the Lord. He's a righteous king, King Hezekiah. So you have great devotion to King Hezekiah. Um, now, here's here's the thing. All your prophets are going to fit in right here. I'll just, just real quick. Keep your hand right there. Okay. You're going to look, at, I'm sorry. Turn to second Kings chapter 20, second Kings chapter 20, verse 16. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the words of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming. Look, we have a whole prophet he- Isaiah, right? The whole prophecy of Isaiah. What are you going to do? Gina, what are you going to do when you read Isaiah now? You're going to go back in and you're going to read the life of Hezekiah. And if you do that, then you're going to be able to read Isaiah as it was meant to be read. Make sense? Okay, good. The second king that you have to know about during this time um, uh, is, uh, is Hezekiah's grandson. Okay. Second Kings chapter 22. Give it to us, Kelsey. Verse one.
2: Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedediah, the daughter of Adiah of Boschath. Boschath. Okay.
1: okay. Anyways, and he does what's good in the eyes of the Lord, right? Josiah is a young king. What do you say? Seven years old or eight years old? Eight years old. Eight, he's eight years old. Little boy, right? He becomes king, but he's a righteous kid. I mean, he's like Vincenzo over here. He's memorized the genealogy and all this stuff. Okay. Chapter 22, verse eight. Watch what happens. He goes in, he becomes king, and he says, hey, guys, The temple that Solomon built, you guys haven't been mopping the floor, you know? It's kind of got some cobwebs. Could you guys go in there and do a little housekeeping? Yeah? Hey, send some guys into the temple to clean it up. Okay? And here's what happens. Kelsey, go ahead.
2: And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes.
1: (laughs) Do you guys see what's going on? Okay. They've lost... The, they, lost, they, they, they lost their Bible. <laughs> they, for, they not only lost it, they didn't know it existed. They go in and start keeping, cleaning up the temple. It's been used as a storage unit. And they find the book of the law and the king opens it up and goes, holy shnikes. There's a God. And, and he talked to our forefathers and like did the whole crossing the Red Sea business. He, he's the creator of the world. And he told us to do certain things. Chapter 23, verse 21. And the king commanded all the people. You got it right there? Go, Kelsey, go for it.
2: Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel. What? All the days of the kings.
1: Okay. It's bad. It's not only bad in the north. It's bad in the south. Yeah, they got they got the the Moloch temples on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. They're sacrificing babies. They hadn't kept the Passover since 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 Joshua. You mean when they came over and they crossed the Jordan and the manna ceased on the morrow and they kept the Passover. That was the last Passover they kept. What? And what do you think is going to happen, son? if you don't want to live in my house and live according to the rules of my house, then you're going to be out of the house. Yeah. Chapter 25 verse one and Zedekiah rebelled against the King of Babylon. Right? So the, so the Assyrians come down, they rock the North, the Babylonians rise to power. They rock the Assyrians and they march on Jerusalem. And this is what happens. 25 verse one.
2: And in the ninth year of his reign, in the 10th month, on the 10th day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works against it round about. Verse six. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, who passed sentence upon him. They slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and Mm -hmm. bound him in fetters and took him to Babylon.
0: Mm.
1: The last thing, the last thing that Zedekiah is now, Zedekiah is actually not the rightful heir to the throne. You have to go back just like one chapter. Zedekiah gets put in as a puppet. Okay. But the last thing Zedekiah sees is his two sons die. The only heirs to his throne are slain in front of him. And then they blind Zedekiah. So that's the last memory he has. Keep reading, Kelsey.
2: In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, the servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord in the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down.
1: Okay, there you go. Okay, who's taken into exile in this exile? Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah is in the city when this happens. It is said that if you, if you read Lamentations of Jeremiah, uh, that, that it got so bad, the siege was laid to the city, the people were starving to death, and they started can- the, the mothers started cannibalizing their babies, and they burned the city to the ground, and Jeremiah is handcuffed, and he's taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon, but as he's walking to Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar he makes friends with him. And Nebuchadnezzar says to Jeremiah, you can come with me to Babylon if you want, and I will take care of you in my house and you'll have no need for anything. Or if you want, I will let you go today and you can return, go wherever you like. Jeremiah says, I liked our friendship and not that much. Take the chains off. I'm out of here. He leaves the, the march to Babylon and he returns to Jerusalem and he comes over the Mount of Olives. And he sees what's left. And he writes his book, The Lamentations of Jeremiah. Turn your Bibles. Keep your hand right there. Turn your Bibles very quickly. You'll find Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. And then you're going to find following the prophet Jeremiah, Lamentations of Jeremiah. This is what he writes when he sees the city. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She that was great among the nations, she that was a princess among the cities has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night, tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. Notice, notice, who are her lovers? Who are the lovers of Jerusalem? All the false gods she had gone after. And she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Okay, read the book of Lamentations, but read it in the context of the prophet Jeremiah who is to be read in the context of 2nd Kings chapter 25. Then you're going to be able to read it and get what you want out of it. Okay. I'm not going to go there right now, but if you look at 2nd Maccabees chapter 2 verse 1, don't go there right now. 2nd Maccabees chapter 2 verse 1 it tells you that Jeremiah actually walled the the sack was going on. He took the ark of the covenant and he left Jerusalem and he went back to Mount Sinai and he hid the ark of the covenant at Mount Sinai. Okay? And it was lost from that day forward until, of course, it reappears in Bethlehem. Yes, when the things of the old covenant are replaced by the living covenant, where the old wood, the dead wood, and the dead rocks are turned into living stones and a living ark. The the temple in Jerusalem from this point forward is burned to the ground, it's desolate, and the The Ark of the Covenant, which was in the center of the Holy of Holies, is gone. When the temple is rebuilt, it does not return. When the temple is rebuilt, the Holy of Holies was an empty black box. And there was nothing inside it. Okay. The people of God are taken off. They spend 70 years in in, in Babylon in exile. um, uh, And a new power rises uh, uh, on the earth, the Persians. And the head of the Persians, King Cyrus. We can pick up the story in the end of Second Chronicles. First, and, you know, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles are basically the same story. But First and Second Kings is the, is, is the story of the genie of, of all the of all the kings from Israel and Judah. Whereas Chronicles is just Judah. Okay, so you can you you don't really have to read both of them. Okay, but the end of Second Kings picks up an important part of the story. Okay. Second Kings chapter 36, verse 15, Kelsey, and then we're going to skip down a little bit and keep going.
2: The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, and scoffing at his prophets till the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy.
1: Okay, and then they're taken off to Babylon, 70 years in Babylon, and in verse 22...
2: of all his people may the lord his god be with him let him go up
1: you guys you guys how not notice how 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 amazing this is this is miraculous god has intervened in this man the guy's a pagan he sends his holy spirit upon him and the guy converts and he says the lord the god he's he becomes a monotheist and then like the guys in the genesis he loads God's people down with silver and gold and says, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Okay. Miracle of miracles. Turn your your page. One page. Ezra picks up this story. Notice chapter one, verse one. Kelsey, give it to us.
2: In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of see, Persia.
1: It's a repetition, right? So there's here's your document, actually. This is an expanded version of it. You can read that first chapter. If you want to get the hair on your back, your neck, stand up. The The power of the Holy Spirit. And just like Rahab becomes part of the genealogy of Christ, so this pagan king who was over the... He had his slaves. What did he want? But God brought his soul, restored his soul to communion. And when that happens, you have to grant freedom. You can't be a slave owner anymore, right? He sends them back loaded with money. In chapter 2, verse 1, these were the people of the province who came out of the captivity and those in exile whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, carried captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Yeshua, uh, Nehemiah, Sariah, Rila, and all these guys. And you want to say, Gina, what do you want to say? I can't read this stuff. I got to skip this section. Don't skip this section, right? Who are these guys? Notice the first guy that's mentioned in the list, Zerubbabel. Now, you, gotta, you got devotion. If you got devotion to Hezekiah, St. Hezekiah the king, you got to have devotion, not only to Josiah, but Zerubbabel. This is the other guy I was thinking, about. maybe the bishop can name me after, you know, Father Zerubbabel. That's an awesome name, like like uh, paniah Zerubbabel. You got to have devotion to Zerubbabel. Who is he? You got to keep your hand there and turn your Bibles back to 1 Chronicles, chapter three. Watch, just watch with your. Take your your purple highlighter out. These are the sons of David. Look at me. Look at verse five. No, scan down. You see Solomon there. You see that in verse five. Look at verse ten. Who do you see in verse ten? Rehoboam. Look at uh, verse 13, Hezekiah, verse 15, Josiah. So who, what, what is this? What is this? in, in the, the, the genealogy that's given here in, in chapter three is the sons of David. These are the kings of God's people. And lo and behold, verse 19, Zerubbabel. There he is. Here's what's going on, guys. They come back to the promised land but they're still under the foreign power of the Persians, right? So they don't come back. It's not, it's not the book of Judges right now. They haven't taken everything back and they're free. No, no, no. Zerubbabel is the rightful heir to the throne of David, but he keeps himself quiet, right? Like all these guys before him had to keep their head down so they didn't get it chopped off, but he works himself into a position of power. He ends up being appointed as governor, but it's never mentioned that he's the king. Okay. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. Okay. there. You, well, the builders, of the, te- the builders of the temple right there. But here's actually what happens. I'm going to paint a little bit of a story here. And we dro- believe it or not, believe it or not, we are on the doorstep of the New Testament. Okay. You guys, I'm going to stop right now because I meant to do it earlier. We have to do it right now. So stop. Don't look at your Bibles for anything. Watch this. We're going to go all the way back. Adam and Eve two sons. Who replaced the son, right? Seth, right? And Seth's great, 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 great grandson. Enoch, who walked with God. Enoch had a mm-hmm. grandson, or great grandson, whatever, who built the ark. His name was? Noah, no. right? Noah had three sons. Which one received the blessing? Hashem, whose other name is? Melchizedek, mm-hmm. right? He's the righteous. Remember that. These guys were all the righteous kings. They're all the kings of righteousness, because they're on the throne of righteousness, Okay wherever I was, great, 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 great grandson, co out of the counties, Abraham, right? And Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob, who receives a new name. Israel, who has 12 sons. Which one receives a blessing? Reuben, his firstborn. Yeah. Judah, right? And Judah has a, a son, Perez. And then they go into Egypt. And everything goes underground until that genealogy in the book of Ruth, right? Because Perez's great, great, great name is Jesse. And Jesse's son is King David. And David has a son. His name is? Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem, right? And also writes Proverbs. Solomon has a son who's not such a good guy, Rehoboam, right? And then Rehoboam has a great, great grandson who actually is a pretty righteous man. His name is Hezekiah. Hezekiah has a grandson who's also a righteous man. He was eight years old. And they found the book of the law and celebrated Passover again. His name was Josiah and Josiah has a great, great, great grandson. And they go into Babylon. They go into the Babylonian exile for 70 years. But when they come back, Shealtiel has a son and his name is Zerubbabel. Okay. Now we are only about 500 years from the coming of Jesus. And now that might seem like a long time to you, but biblically speaking, it's not. Because you have to just understand that there's one fundamental problem that takes place. If you haven't figured it out, you nimrods, it's time that you get it stuck in your head that God is faithful to you. And if you'll just be faithful to him and choose life instead of death and choose him instead of yourself, if you choose to make a name for him instead of a name for yourself, your life will be good. The Lord will take care of you. But generation after generation after generation, they fail to put their trust in the Lord. And now they come back loaded with Persian gold. And don't you think that they would have thought that was miraculous? Turn your Bibles to the prophet Haggai. Now, how are you going to find Haggai? I know you guys love Haggai. But you just can't find him in your Bibles. Find second Mac, first and second Maccabees. If Maccabees is right at the end of your prophets and right before the New Testament, then you just go backwards from Maccabees a little bit. If, if Maccabees is stuck back in a different place in your Bible, then this guy's going to be right before the New Testament. He's very short, which is why he's at the end. Your prophets for the most part, are um, for the most part, are according to their length, not according to when they lived. So don't think you can just grab hold of it. Look how far you had to go from Ezra all the way to Haggai. Haggai is written to fit into Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay? If you know that, you're going to understand that. Check this out. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius. Now, most scholars believe that Darius is probably another name for Cyrus. Probably the same guy because he's living at the same time. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel. Verse two, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people say say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you to yourselves to dwell in your own paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So what happens? They come back to Jerusalem loaded with gold, with Cyrus telling them the gold is to build the temple. And instead of using it to build the temple, they go build their mansions for themselves, and they look up to Jerusalem, and, the, and the, the Temple Mount is still burned to the ground. Okay? Look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you fared. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and that my, I may appear in my glory. The glory cloud had left at the time of the Babylonian exile, and it never returned. Okay? Verse nine: You have looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you bought, brought it home, it blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins, while you busy each with your own house. And the rest of Haggai, Nehemiah, chapter nine. We're gonna go back to Nehemiah now. It's Ezra, then Nehemiah. So your your first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, chapter nine, verse. Thirty-six, Kelsey.
2: Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves.
1: There, it is. that's all you needed to know. They come back, right? It goes Ezra the Nehemiah. They come back from 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 Babylon, but what do they say? We're slaves in our own home because they stay under the control first of the Persians, right? Then the Greeks, Alexander, the, the great marches on Jerusalem, right? And then eventually the Romans. They, this is why I'm saying we're on, the, door, we're on the, the doorstep of the New Testament, because this is the fundamental problem that will drive the hope of God's people at the coming of the Messiah. Because while God had promised that the throne of David would remain forever, it appears as though from outward appearances, it's been burned and sacked and it's over, And the people of God begin reflecting on what God promised and say it can't be. God must send another Messiah, another anointed one, who will free us from this slavery that we find ourselves in our own land. And why do they find themselves in that slavery? Not because God put them into slavery, but because they put themselves into slavery by not being faithful to the Lord. We only have one last prophet we have to look at, and that's the prophet Malachi. Turn with me to the prophet Malachi, who is the last prophet of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a father, where is my home honor? Sorry, if I am a father. And if I, if I am a master, where is, is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name, Levites. You say, how have we despised thy name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. You say, how have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals as sacrifices, did, is that no evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that no evil? Present that to your governor. Now give that to Zerubbabel. See what he says about it. What, do you think I'm blind, the Lord says? And what's going on? Yeah, they're, they're coming up. They've rebuilt the temple. Ezra chapter three, they actually do finally rebuild the temple. Although when they rebuild it, all the old men that remember Solomon's temple begin crying because they, they, this is a sad, a sad replication or whatever, and nowhere near what Solomon had built. Okay. And then they start going up and they start doing all the things they're supposed to do according to the law. Well, Kind of, instead of bringing their true, their heart to the Lord, they're trying to cheat him, right? What are they doing? They're they're like, which, which I got to bring a a lamb to the, to the, to sacrifice. Let me choose the, the, the one that's got the skin hanging off of it is half sick and half dead. Take that up and sacrifice it. And I keep the good stuff for myself. Right? Look at chapter, look at chapter, um, chapter one, verse, um, verse 13. What a weariness this is, you say, and you sniff at me, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Take take a look at chapter two, verse six. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of of Jacob are not consumed for the days of your fathers from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes have not kept them return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts but you say how shall we return will man rob God and you, you you yet you are robbing me but you say how are we robbing thee in your tithes and offerings you are accursed with a curse for you're robbing me the whole nation of you Bring the full tithe into the storehouse of the Lord, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing, bring to me your first fruits. The word tithe means 10%. You bring to me your first fruits and recognize that everything you have is a gift for me, and I will open up the very windows of heaven for you. My brothers and sisters, the prophet Malachi doesn't fade away then suddenly Jesus comes and whoop-a ah, we don't have to do it anymore no we not only have to tithe 10% we have to tithe 100% of our life to the lord that's what he's asking for when you when the basket goes by and you pull out what's left over and you put in 5 bucks my brothers and sisters the lord says put me to the test he tells you put me to the test and see if I will not open the very windows of heaven for you. If you have not been tithing in your life, my brothers and sisters, it's time to put the Lord to the test for he asked us to do so. And then see what God can do in your life. I have to tell you, tithing, I learned it from my dad when I was a boy. He'd have us sit down at the dining room table and write out the, the tithe, the first 10%. When our when his paycheck came in on the first of the month or 50, whatever it was, sat down there we write the tithe checks out first thing okay that was the first thing we did It was the most important lesson my dad ever taught me put the lord to the test you don't have enough money you don't have enough money not to tithe that's the problem there'll never be enough money if you don't give the lord the first fruits of what he's given to you now father hezekiah is going to get off his hobby horse Back to the text, right here, chapter three, verse one. I'm just going to go back just a few verses. Kelsey, read it for us. Chapter three. Look, you're right. Just you're going to hear the New Testament. Okay. Here we go. Chapter three, verse one. Go.
2: Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me. In the Lord, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver till they present right offerings to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah in Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Okay, chapter
1: four, verse one. Uh, New American Bible people, this is chapter 3, verse 19 in your Bible. Okay? Don't worry. It's just a, a verse, chapter and verse numbering difference. They didn't take anything out. So, either if you're in your RSV or whatever, chapter 4, verse 1. Otherwise, you're in the New American, chapter 3, verse 19. Listen to this. Go ahead, Kelsey.
2: For behold, the day comes, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evil evildoers will be s- stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings.
1: This is stop. He- the son of righteousness. Who is the son of righteousness? Now, He's the king it. of the throne of Jerusalem. Right. We've been talking about the throne of righteousness, Zedek, the Zedek throne, right? Melchizedek, all the way through, all of these righteous kings. Noah, the righteous king. King David, the righteous king. Hezekiah, the righteous king. The king is going to come back and take his throne again. Okay? And there's one indication that that's going to happen. Keep reading, Kelsey.
2: You shall go forth, leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Verse five. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a curse.
1: What is he talking about? Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 verse, let's read from verse 8, Kelsey.
2: Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood. It fell to him by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he shall drink no wine nor strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, And make ready for the Lord a people prepared. There you
1: go. My brothers and sisters, that's Malachi. He's saying, this must happen, and then the day of the Lord will come. John is born. The next thing that must happen is the Messiah must return. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We finish our Bible study together. And my favorite passage of the entire Bible the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew chapter one. And I hope you guys are going to hear this at mass, right? Coming up. When you hear this genealogy in mass, your head's got to blow off. Your heart's has to start burning within you because this is the entire old Testament in, in, in a few verses. We can start this before we begin. We begin get we be before, right? Adam and Eve do it with me. Adam and Eve mm-hmm. had, a, had, had two boys, cain and abel right cain killed abel and they gave him a new a, a new son his name was kelsey seth. Seth, seth right seth had a great if i do this tour she's gonna to totally come me tomorrow i'm not gonna do that <laughs> seth said had a great 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 grandson who walked with god his name was
2: enoch enoch,
1: enoch. enoch had a great great grandson who built the ark no had no three sons which one received the blessing
2: shem.
1: Shem. shem shem had a great 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 grandson called Ur of the chaldees his name was abraham abraham, abraham. abraham. abraham had a son Isaac. Isaac. And Isaac's son? Jacob. Jacob. Jacob had Jacob got a new name. His new name was? Jacob. How many boys did he have? 12. 12. Twelve. Twelve. Which one received the blessing? Judah. Judah. Judah and Judah's
2: son? Paris, and, Paris.
1: Paris and, and, and then and then they go underground, right? And then Paris has a son, and his name is it's a great, great, great grandson, Jesse. And then David, here we go. Pick it up right here. Look at this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the King, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron. These are the guys right there. There it is, under into Egypt, right? These are the guys who are slaves in Egypt. Hezron the father of Ram. This is at the beginning. This is right at the end of Ruth. And Ram the father of Abinadab. Abinadab the father of nation. Nation the father of Solomon. Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, there's the first time you find out, by the way. There you go. You find out Rahab actually marries in and becomes an ancestor of Christ. And Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, the king. David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Now you get all these, all the bad kings, okay? which we didn't have, we didn't go over all of them. Abijah, the father of Asa, and Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, the father of Josephat of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of?
2: Hezekiah.
1: And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of? Josiah, the eight-year-old, right, who finds the book of the law. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon, I told you that the line didn't go through Zedekiah with the eyes plucked out, right? There it is, okay? Jeconiah at the time of the deportation of Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of, boom, Zerubbabel. (laughs) And now, for the first time in entire salvation history, for the first time in the Bible, you learn the, the 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 descendants of the line of David who put their heads down so that they can communicate, they can they can they give the faith to their son and king after king after king, the first time in your Bible is revealed to you the rest of the genealogy. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abu and Abu, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, mathan the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, my brothers and sisters, Joseph was the rightful descendant of the throne of David. And he knew it. He knew it. But in his humility, he stayed down so that through him, God could act and bring about the restoration of God's people. Humbly, in Nazareth, day after day, he knew he was the rightful heir to the throne of David. And because of his humility, he gave us the Messiah. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ, the King, the Messiah, the long-awaited restoration of 2 Samuel chapter 7, the long-awaited restoration of all things. My brothers and sisters, the Bible is not a collection of random stories that we're supposed to play Russian roulette with. It is one story. It is the story of God's faithfulness through all of our unfaithfulness. As we walk in and out of the house of God, Jesus is indeed the Christ. He is indeed the King, not only of Judah, but of all of creation. He is indeed our high priest, but not that of Levi For in Jesus is restored the firstborn priesthood of Adam. Behold, my eyes have seen my salvation. And it is into him that we are baptized. The genealogy in Matthew is not only the genealogy of Jesus. It is our genealogy. These are our fathers and mothers who have gone before us. And have struggled much like us. It's our family history into which we begin to live the life that God has planned for us from the time of the Garden of Eden. To Christ our God be glory, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Kelsey, thank you. I'm gonna get out of your way. And since we do actually have a little bit of time for QA, we can do a QA tonight. I didn't think we were gonna be able to because so I thought I was gonna like 20 minutes over. Kelsey. On behalf of every here, everyone here present, I want to say thank you for being the sacrificial lamb this <laughs> evening um, and, uh, and, and keeping us on track is only because of you that we were able to fly through those texts and get through all of this. I know it's a lot, guys, but when you're hearing that genealogy at mass, you, you've got to let all of those stories just fire off. One story after another, <laughs> that's what it's meant. It's not that list of names. It's a list of people's stories and family stories that should be going off on your head remembering 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 14 generations 14 generations 14 generations okay and allow it to do that when you're hearing it at mass and it'll make all the difference in the world to you that you can truly celebrate the birth of the messiah the one who has come to restore us not only to jerusalem but to the garden of eden kelsey i'm gonna turn over to you
2: thank you so much father hezekiah Um, that was just phenomenal all right so I think we now can go to some questions. Um father, we have a number of people who are just so shocked and scandalized that they had lost the book of the law for so long. So they're <laughs> they're asking did indeed King David not celebrate Passover? Did they really not have the book of the law during that time?
1: Guys, just go back and read it. It's a it's it's not a great story, but I'll tell you what what, what is great about it is that um is that you look around things at things today, and you go, "Man, it couldn't get any worse," you know. I've used the example of Peter before. You imagine, just imagine for a second, CNN interviews Pope Francis. Um, your Holiness. They wouldn't call me Your Holiness. Whatever they call. Them. Um. Uh. Do you, are you a Christian? No, no, no. I'm not a Christian. I don't know that cross you got hanging around your neck makes you look like you're a follower of Jesus. Nope. Nope. Never knew the man. Really? I mean, the way we've heard you talk, it's all you get know, homilies and stuff about following Jesus. I mean, the way you t- speak. Nope, Nope, Nope. Never met him. I, I don't know. I don't know him. I'm not a Christian. And you'd all, can you imagine the headlines the next day? <gasps> Pope Francis apostatizes, you know, and everybody, Oh my God. That's so what Peter did. Do you do much less? Oh, I do much less in my daily life when I, when I follow all sorts of things that I shouldn't be following in my life and making them, making idols out of all the things God has given me. So I'm not, I just, I'm just saying it's been bad in the past and the life of the time of the Kings was bad. I mean, they were sacrificing their children. I, we just did that in RSGR, Annie. I don't know if you got the text in front of you, but they were sacrificing their children on Mount of Olives. So, you know, it's been bad in the past, and these stories are given to us as, an ex- as, a, as, a, as a way to, to catechize us and, and help us to understand what we're going through today. And to calm our spirits a little, because one who is deep in history, has that tap root down, won't be swayed by all the craziness going on. And all the reports of this and that and the, this going on, this, or this bishop and that bishop. Breathe deep. God's done it before. The question is whether you're going to be faithful or not. That's the question that's in front of you. Okay? So yes. No. No. King David didn't celebrate Passover. In fact, King Hezekiah didn't celebrate Passover. Not too good,
2: old hezzy. Not too good. Uh, nice, um, Adrian. Why don't you go ahead and unmute yourself? How many years were the Israelites in Egypt during after Joseph brought them there? The genealogies seemed kind of quick with Rahab and Salmon and all that.
1: Uh, I mean, it's 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 not quick. It's like what six generations, right? If you turn, if you turn to the book of Ruth, real quick, go there. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, Adrian. I maybe somebody's like. I was listening to my. I was listening to myself give this talk like six years ago. I had a recording of it, and I said they were in there for four hundred years. I was like, four hundred thirty years. Where does it say that? I don't know. I should have gone and looked it up. Now I feel like an idiot because I didn't go do it. But I just kept moving on because <laughs> there's a lot to prepare. Anyways, so something like that. Like four hundred years, you know? What, Teresa? Take yourself off mute. Teresa knows everything, so
2: the so. I think the Lord says it to Abraham that they'll be there for 400 years. I think and you're, I'm yes, pretty sure yes. it's at the end of Exodus, this, your sons is, are
1: good. Yes. You're, it's yes. Genesis chapter go Genesis chapter. We're going to find it. It's right here. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa, for saving my soul. 15, Genesis 15. 15 verse 13. Read it for us. Then the Lord said to Abram, know of a surety that your descendants will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be slaves there and they will be oppressed for 400 years. There you go. Thank you. So I love the Institute, you know, we're like a family together. Father Hezekiah is getting old, can't remember anything. And uh, you guys saved me. That's great.
2: And then it it. So one benefit of my bad translation is it tells me where to look for the other verses yeah. Um, exodus 12
1: verse 40. I, I see. I was thinking I knew it was an exodus. That's the other thing. But then I didn't. I never went and looked it up and uh, Exodus 12, 12 verse 40, 40 has oh, yeah. the there time you go. that
2: the sons of Israel dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. I knew it. See. I will take one from the list here and then we'll go to um, Sh- Shane and Gina um, and then we'll get to you, Angie. So Joseph is asking, we ended here with a genealogy, and he's asking the genealogy in Luke chapter three is different from David to Jesus. Why is this?
1: Okay, that, this is, this. there's some that it talked about or speculated that Luke's genealogy is actually the, the genealogy of um, of, uh, of Mary. Um, but certainly the genealogical line can be followed through in the in the in the house of David a couple of ways Uh, I want you to go back and listen to my brother's um bible study on the gospel of Luke on this point he knows his stuff on it and not going to get into it
2: nice go ahead Shane and Gina so for
1: uh homework you had us read numbers 22 and the character of Balaam is kind of an interesting and strange character could you talk a little bit more about Balaam and his
2: relationship to God
1: it's, it is a strange story. I, to be honest with you, Shane, I didn't write that email. Uh, Peter did, and I didn't <laughs> know why he put Numbers chapter twenty-two in there. I think what he meant was, um, I don't know. It was right in there as the sin of Baal Peor. Sorry, is Peter. Is, on?
2: Maybe he can answer. Yeah,
1: Peter, come on. Why do you want to read chapter twenty-two? And- <laughs> no, but it's, it, is, it is a strange story, but it, I think the most important thing for you as we read it is um, is to realize that the view of, of what's going on from inside the Holy land to outside. So they're, they're like, like, uh, Jericho and, and Rahab, it's a similar story. They see what's going on, right? I'm going to speak. I'm going to take a question. I'm not going to answer it, but I'm going to answer it to Rahab. And it's this, they see what's going on. They know what's taking place. And yet they still stand against them, right? It's just like the story of the Lord. They see him walking on water. They see him multiplying the loaves and fishes. They see everything going on. And still, what would you have done if you were in Jericho, right? And these guys, these guys come out of Egypt, slaves, and they start rocking everyone across the desert, right? Miraculously, they're being fed. Miraculously, they're receiving water. Miraculously, God is coming down on Mount Sinai. You don't think the people of Jericho knew that? They knew it. But they were blind to God's work. And and here, I'm just going to put it to our own lives. How oftentimes God is making miracles around us, and yet we become blind to to God's work, right? And that is true. I mean, even the breath, the air we breathe right now is a miracle. But we become so used to it that we become blind to God's presence in our life. I would just say read chapter 22 in that light. And you'll start to gain an a kind of understanding of this vision of what's taking place. And then the prophetic uh, 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 vision and, and explanation of it, okay?
2: Thanks. Angie, why don't you go ahead? I'm just going to go back to the when they found the book of the law. One of the things that I noticed is that you go straight from they started keeping the Passover again, but then they go into exile and all this kind of stuff. I guess kind of that... Is that part of that quandary that, you know, a lot of times when people begin to follow the Lord, once they get some of those, um, just all of trying to reconcile all of their yeah. past life, that it just becomes so difficult? Is that kind of what that's? A-
1: absolutely, Angie. And I-, I didn't
2: get into this
1: because we're going so fast. I'm going to encourage you guys, I will say it right now a little bit, but but I encourage you to le- listen to my series on the Jubilee year. Because ultimately, the straw that breaks the camel's back At the time of the Babylonian exile is the issue of the Jubilee year. The Jubilee year was given to God's people um, so that when when people became indebted or like they lost their land or became slaves, indebted to another person, that person would eventually be given their land back and be given freedom. This is so fundamentally important in all of salvation history. God frees Israel from Egypt so that Israel can set the world free. Okay. To the extent that they do that, they can remain within God's house. To the extent that they don't do that, they do like Solomon did in the slave's blood, they can't stay. Right? So take a look with me at Jeremiah chapter 34. This is the, this is, remember I told you Jeremiah was captured in Jerusalem when they, when the Babylonians captured him. Remember in, in, in second Kings chapter 25. Okay, this is that moment of when it when it all became when all broke down. Look at chapter thirty four, verse eight. Okay, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people. Remember, Zedekiah's got his eyes poked out. Says just before that, to make a proclamation of liberty to them that everyone should set free his Hebrew slave, male and female. So They enslaved their brother so that none should enslave a jew his brother and they obeyed all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant that everyone would set free his slave so stop for a second what's going on the babylonians have surrounded the city They're they've laid siege to it they're about to sack it and the last thing zedekiah does is he proclaims the jubilee year set the slave free, which is insane right? Who, what are the slaves? They're the guys that are on the ramparts. They're the guys that are shooting the arrows. They're the one in the front line getting shot at. Why would you send them free? Because all was lost. And Zedekiah knew that there was no hope left. So the only hope he has is to turn to the Lord and start to follow the law again. So he makes a proclamation of liberty as a way to say, maybe God will miraculously save us. But, what verse was I in? Yeah, verse 10, right? made the proclamation, verse 11, but afterwards they turned around and took back the male and female slaves. They had set free and brought them into subjection as slaves. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying at the end of six years, each of you must set his free as his, his fellow Hebrew who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You must set him free from your service. But your fathers didn't listen to me or incline their ears to me. You recently repented and did what was right in in my eyes by proclaiming liberty each to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house, which is called by my name. But then you turned around and profaned my name when, when each of you took back his male and female slave, whom you had set free according to their desire, and you brought them into subjection to be your slaves. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, every one of you, his brother, and to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to the sword. To pestilence and to famine says the Lord, I will make you a whore to all the kingdoms of the earth, and the men of the and and so it goes on. Okay, and boom, the Babylonians come over the wall and burn the city to the ground. So that's the I don't even remember your original question, Angie, but that's the fundamental point: is that, is that Josiah begins these the uh, 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 a reforma- uh, re- reformation right? He begins to reform, but it's not enough. The people don't listen, and ultimately. They're not going to listen even when they come back from Babylon, right? And so, and then the rest is history.
2: Father, you mentioned the Jubilee, and one person wrote in a question asking if you could talk a little bit about the Jubilee and well, does this concept still exist? If so, when is the next Jubilee?
1: Okay. I also, I, again, go listen to I talk on the Jubilee year because the uh, the the Roman Catholic Church is going to have a special Jubilee on the on the twenty twenty five. So they have another one come you know the Pope's use it a little bit yeah i mean they're the pope they can do what they want but yeah you know, they use it a little bit loose right the the guy comes i mean pope francis became pope he declared a jubilee year special Jubilee. and then you know they get it i don't know they have a they go to sleep one night they wake up jubilee year you know. but you know they but 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 on the like the 25th year and the 50th year those are always jubilee years right and here's the thing christians don't celebrate <laughs> jubilee years we live in the Jubilee because the Jubilee was the beginning of the restoration of way things are supposed to be. Okay. When Jesus unrolled the scroll in, in Luke chapter four and proclaimed the, 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 it was the proclaimed liberty, right. And so forth. And began his ministry of freeing people from their bondage of sin and of being crippled and eyes are blind on that. It's all about this. Okay. Um, uh this is, this is our life now. We are to grant forgiveness, not only materially, but more importantly, to the spiritual bondage which we hold our brothers and sisters in. This is why we have this, the sacrament of confession. This is why baptism frees us from sin. This is why the Eucharist gives us new life and frees us from sin. The whole sacramental system is about this issue freeing you from bondage so that you can free your brother and sister whom you hold in bondage. So I, did, I, I make this point in my series I just make it here as we're preparing for Christmas. My brothers and sisters if you if you've if, if somebody's offended you, maybe you got a cousin, maybe an aunt, an uncle, a brother, a sister, a parent, or maybe a neighbor who you've been holding in spiritual bondage right? You did this to me and I'll never forgive that debt. Well, you want to live like Pharaoh or do you want to live like Christ? Begin now living the way you want to live for all eternity. Go out, forgive the other person, pray for their restoration. This doesn't mean, by the way, this doesn't mean forgiveness. Father Joseph, my mentor used to say this, forgiveness is not forgetfulness. How could I ever forget what they did to me? Nor does it make right what happened. It doesn't say, you know, there's horrible things that happen, right? People are treated badly. It doesn't change that reality. But it, what is changed is my relationship with the person, my desire for their restoration. Jesus didn't go, "You worthless bum, you can't walk, you can't see. What's wrong with you? You prostitutes." No, he brought them to healing by restoring okay. their life what God had originally wanted it to be. What do you want for that person that's hurt you? Do you want them to, 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 to remain in their sin or to be restored to the image and likeness of God so that they can live the life God had prepared for them? That's forgiveness. Praying for them and loving them to restore them to the right place that God wants. Not forgetting and ignoring. Okay? I hope that makes sense. Okay.
2: Thanks, Father. I think we'll close um, with this question, which are a number of people, of course, are um, writing and asking what further resources you might have, book recommendations, et cetera. I will just put forward one, which is that if you really want to get into it, we have a whole course on scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, done by Father Sebastian, Father Hezekiah's brother, phenomenal course that's for those who really want to get into it. So, um, but father has What do you think?
1: Well, Kelsey, I, I, I um, you saved me. Cause I'm like, you know, when you cover this amount of history, like we covered 1200 years in, 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 in 120 minutes tonight. Okay. So usually it's like one book's not really going to do it for you. <laughs> I got a library back here. Like, um, so, um, so I would recommend the course exactly as Kelsey, uh, recommended it. Um, and then, you know, I would just say it's not a book. Well, it is a book. It's your Bible. What book do I recommend? I recommend your, your book. I recommend your Bible and start reading it. Make it a daily reading, but slowing down. Your goal is not to read your Bible in one year. Those are great programs, excellent programs. They do a lot of good for a lot of people. Nor in six, six hours, by the way. Your goal is to read your Bible throughout your life yeah and always stop to contextualize that's a lot of work it takes a lot of discipline it's not where you usually want to go you you want to jump in and read that prophet you want to read that psalm don't do it go back and contextualize and then read it okay so um so what can i say we're on a, a lifelong journey together of studying the scriptures and uh um i hope that well, you know, that, I hope it will be a lifelong journey because there's always more. All right. There's my recommendation.
2: Thank you so much, Father Hezekiah. Um, this has just been an incredible series. Thank you so much, Father.
1: You're welcome. And thank you, Vincenzo, for being a good participant in our Bible study series.
2: Let's let's close in prayer, Father.
1: Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Lord Jesus Christ, you who promised that when two or three are gathered in your name, you would be here among us. We ask you to be here now, sending down your Holy Spirit, enlightening our minds and souls as we study your sacred word, that learning your ways, we may glorify your holy name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed this program from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Remember to download our app and share our online library with friends, co-workers and family members. To learn more, get involved and support the Institute's work, visit instituteofcatholicculture.org and visit us on social media.